hiding without our musicians. It was amazing music today. You all did amazing. That was great. Um, that's the best shark story I've ever heard. <laughs> In fact, it's the only good shark story I've ever heard. <laughs> but uh, it's good to be with you. And uh, uh, just a little update. You know, we had a really good week at the at prison. We we uh, we got a small group of guys at kind of a nucleus there. It's kind of like a church. and But we've had about five people come to Christ this week at the prison. Uh, and we had a speaker two consecutive Monday nights, and he came in talking about more of a motivational speaker in business. And we had like 80 guys come for the first Monday night, then 100 people, which is a lot for our chapel for this campus. Uh, I do want you to keep a certain man. I can't, of course, name him. Uh, he came uh, to uh, Lake Erie, and uh, immediately there was a gang that tried to take his money, and he wouldn't give it, tried to take his things, and he took a stand, and they beat him up. And uh, he came to chapel. He goes to chapel. He's a young man who really didn't really know the Lord before this, but some of the guys encouraged him to come and you know, he's really with us, but we encourage him to go to something called TPU, which I know Zolt knows. And that's where you're safe, away from the population. You're just there in a cell by your, with one other person. And he needs it, but I want you to keep him in prayer. But they caught four of the six guys that beat on him. So just to know that things will be safe for him. But there are those kinds of things that happen there. Uh, we had some guys come off the bus who, older, they took advantage, took their stuff already. But they come to church, and they have a very good attitude about it. But keep these men in prayer. There are, there are gangs there. there. It is a tough way to go for many of them. But the chapel's there to help guys. It's help guys come to Christ. It's there to help them get through some of these very difficult times, uh, to find fellowship. So keep in prayer all the men. Uh, one of the gentlemen had been released here recently. He's in Cleveland. I think he'll come here. He's just a, a gem of a guy. And uh, things are going well for him. And, uh, but just keep all of it in prayer. You know, God's doing a, a mighty work on the hearts of men there. So, anyway, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for the power of the gospel that no matter what a person's done or how many times, they are fully capable of being remade into your beautiful image. Father, thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit. We, we can't change ourselves at all. But in your hands, entrusting in you, surrendering to you, uh, is the way that any of us are being remade in the image of Jesus. So, Father, be with us as we talk about the faith of Jesus and what Jesus said about conversion is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. There we go. All right. I want us to notice something in this passage. And, and, and Jesus, of course, said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So here's one of the verses where Jesus actually used the word converted. Uh, what leads up to this statement by Jesus is the disciples arguing who's the greatest. And he's trying to teach him what it would mean to be in a converted state. And notice what Sister White says in this day with God. Be child again. Cast all your burdens and sorrows on him who alone can give rest to the weary heart 
and peace to the troubled soul. If you would learn a new, learn anew the precious secret of happiness in this life and how you may attain the future immortal life, be assured you must again be child in trust and obedience and love. If you only do your duty bravely yet cheerfully as a happy child of God, you will reflect rays of sunshine upon others. Amen. Look up to God with the simple faith you had in your childhood and say, Father, I am weary. Give me rest. Unite my ignorance to thy wisdom, my weakness to thy strength, my frailty thy enduring might. Shield me with thy protecting hand in life's conflicts. Save me from the vigilant foe who haunts my steps. Then believe, my son, and you will realize even more than you expected. So Jesus compared being converted to being like a child. When we think of a child, what do we think about? Any thoughts? Innocence, what else? Dependence, trust. Sometimes we begin with faith and then we start over time trusting on ourselves because we're adults and we're used to pulling ourselves up our own bootstraps. But if you translate that into your Christianity, we're getting far away from faith and what truly is a converted state. Conversion is trust in God. Conversion is believing that he will take care of me as a three-year-old realizes that his food comes from mom and dad. That realize that the roof over his head comes from mom and dad. It's that childlike faith. But believing in God's promises, believing in him, is being what means to be converted. Because it's so easy to believe in church doctrine. It's so easy to believe in myself and my own securities than to believe in him. But this is what we need to learn, especially as we're heading into a time of troubles there's never been. We need to simply learn to trust God as a child, trust his parents. And we're going to see this theme as we, I was putting this together. I was, I was amazed how often Jesus refers to being like a child. Okay, I want to look at the larger context. So that was 18.3. Now we're going to look at the larger context of this verse. Jesus said, or Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said... Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become his little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall receive one such little one, in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it would be better for him that a millstone were hung or hanged around his neck, and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. So in the larger context, I'm not just thinking about trust in God. Really believe in him. Not believing in myself. Believing in him. That he's able to get me through. But the other thing, that takes what? What's that next key word? Humility. Humility and trust. As we trust ourselves more and we have this pride of life, we're less likely to throw our trust into God. But there was some other key thing that I thought was very interesting here. And that is this idea of our duty to our fellow man, that we should receive people, not just children, but people. That if you would offend, not just children, but what? Anybody. So part of my conversion is about how I treat other people. It's not just me being as a child dependent upon God. It's all about how I treat other people. Not to offend anybody and make it harder for them to believe. 
but be just the opposite. That you want to say and do anything and everything that would be more likely that people would be reconciled to get to God. That they themselves would find conversion and trust in God. And so part of our conversion is not just to be like a child, but to treat people, as like Ellen White says, like a flower. They're delicate. It's so easy to destroy a life. Human life can be snuffed out just like that. It's not hard. But to see a person become converted and to grow in Christ in a fallen world is a constant battle. But it's all worth it, isn't it? It's all worth it. Notice this statement, 1 John 2, 8, 9, talking about you know, how we deal with other people. Again, a new commandment, the commandment to love one another, right? I write unto you, which thing is true in him, in Jesus and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is what? We could just say he's not converted. Is that be a fair statement? Yes. It's still in darkness. If you hate your brother, you're not converted yet. Yes. You may have right doctrine, but yes. we have to love. Now, what's interesting in this statement is that it was true in Jesus. Is that right? Loving even your enemies was true in Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was true in Jesus his whole life. And it can be true in us. This commandment, though, must be put into our hearts, because we weren't born that way. But through conversion, we're born again. And what becomes important to walk in the light is that I'm willing to cooperate with God for him to put this commandment into my heart, into me, because it didn't originate with me. It wasn't with me at the beginning. But part of conversion is allowing God to write this commandment to love one another as I love you, to be in me, to change my character, fitting me for heaven. The darkness that the Greek word is now past is actually the darkness is passing away. Why is the darkness passing away? Now we know the world's going to get darker and darker. But in one sense, the darkness is passing away because we're the children of, of light. And as you continue to allow this commandment to be in you, this light of love, darkness is passing away. Not just in other people that you're in communion with, right? But in who else? In myself. Darkness is passing away in me as I allow the light of God's love to be in me. And that's the work of a lifetime. Of allowing myself to be imbued with the Holy Spirit to become more loving. To get out all the hate, all the anger, all the animosity. So that I can have be seen the darkness passing away and we become brighter and brighter for Christ. Now, it's interesting that this light now shineth. And that means in one sense that you and I have a heightened responsibility to live in the end of time. We're not just to be loving. We actually are being called to be the most loving believers who've ever lived. You see, the darkness is past, or it's passing away. But because Jesus demonstrated this kind of love, we're actually more accountable to love. Because until Jesus demonstrated this love that the world had never seen before, 
Not in its fullness, not like with Jesus. I mean, he loved how many? How often? All the time. He went about doing good. He loved, he loved, he loved. Even to the Pharisees who wanted to kill him, he said, you need, you need to accept me. You need to eat my flesh. You need to, you need to drink my blood because you're going to die in your sins if you don't have me. Yes. Right? And so Jesus, it, it was in him the whole time. It needs to be in us. But because of what Jesus did and what he demonstrated, this is what makes possible a group called the 144,000. Right? The light shineth more and more unto a perfect day. And the perfect day wasn't the day of Luther. And the perfect day wasn't the day of John Wesley. But it's getting brighter. Because the demonstration of what Jesus did is sinking deeper and deeper into followers who will wind up giving that last gospel call to the world and will be a demonstration, a manifestation of his love to a world, a world that is completely turned upon God's world, God's people. Not just in a part of the world. The entire world. And to be part of that is our great privilege. When we talk about being the most blessed generation to see Jesus come, well, part of that is because we're the generation that needs to be the most loving when Jesus comes. All made possible. And uh, he's in likeness, and it says, and hateth his brother. It doesn't talk about how much hatred does it talk about here? 100% hatred? 10% hatred? Doesn't give a percentage. Just when we're non-loving. It's not about 1%, 99% or whatever. It's just whenever we aren't loving, we need to be the sons of light and the daughters of light. Okay? Now, the famous statements, you know, John chapter 3, when we usually think about the faith of Jesus, what Jesus said about conversion, we think about John chapter 3, his meeting with Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I said to thee, Nicodemus, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verily, verily, I said unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the what? Spirit. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of a spirit. Now think about who he's talking to. He's talking to a man who's Nicodemus, who's very well-read, very religious, and who has an understanding that he's saved because he's a Hebrew. He's even more saved because he's a Pharisee. He's a, I mean, he's got a ticket to heaven because he's a Hebrew and a Pharisee, and, and as far as he knows, he's outwardly keeping the law. But Jesus says, but you need to be born again, Nicodemus. And what Jesus compares it to is wind, and this was very important for Nicodemus because he based his his belief that he was converted on what he could see. He could see the ceremonies. He could see himself doing his prayers in front of everybody and maybe even in private and see himself reading a scroll. But Jesus says, but it's different than that, Nicodemus. It's like the wind. You don't see the wind, Nicodemus, but it's there. How do you know it's there? Because of its effects. But conversion is kind of like the wind. The spirit's kind of like the wind. It's not based on some ceremony. It's actually based on something you can't see. The work of the Holy Spirit upon a heart, I can't see it. But what do I see? I see its effects. When a life is being changed. When a person who was angry has now become loving. 
who used to be a person, treat a person poorly, now treats them very well. I can see that. It wasn't based on a ceremony. It wasn't based on how many Hail Marys or this or that. The work of the Holy Spirit on heart. And we start thinking about conversion. We start thinking about, I've got to make sure that I base my conversion on how many times I attend church. Church is good. I need to be in cooperation with the one I can't see. That takes faith. That takes me believing that the Holy Spirit is real. And that I need to start seeing evidence in my life by a changed life. New motives, new purposes, right? And then Jesus goes on in this same chapter. We don't want to, again, look at the context here. Notice what he says here. He's still talking to Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? There's that statement again, everlasting life. You have to be born again to have everlasting life. You have to be born of the Spirit to have everlasting life, right? But you also have to believe in the one who was lifted up. Who was lifted up? Jesus. You have to believe, Nicodemus, who called Jesus a good teacher. A teacher come from God. That's a positive. But conversion really begins when? When you realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And without Him, you cannot be saved. You cannot be converted. You need Him, Nicodemus. With all the ceremonies you've gone through, all the lambs that you had offered, all the prayers you ever offered, but without Jesus, Nicodemus, without the one who's been lifted up, there is no conversion for you. And so every day we need to begin with Jesus. Begin with prayer. Begin with Jesus. If you want to start your day off and be converted today to receive more of the Spirit, you begin with the only one who can save you. And that becomes very, very important. A lot of times we get up in the morning and don't even think about Jesus. We think about getting to work or we think about this. But remember, we're being converted. We're being changed. There's a day I accepted Christ and I received a new heart, but that's simply the beginning of a new life. It's not the end. It's not the all. It makes it possible for me to be transformed, receiving that Holy Spirit. And then even in the same chapter, verse 21, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So Jesus is talking about light, and Nicodemus came to him at, at night. So Nicodemus is coming to him at night, and Jesus says, but you need light. And that light needs to be manifested in your life, that people see that God's works are being wrought through you, to be very visible, to be not ashamed. And so here's a man that comes to light, but he needs the light of truth. And Nicodemus learned that he must be first, Born again. That's the first thing he hears. The next thing he hears, he needs to be born of the... And not simply be born of flesh, but that's what he depended himself on. His flesh. I'm a Hebrew. I'm from this tribe. I, you know, I'm a Pharisee. This is all flesh stuff. So that tells me I can't just say, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. I go to church. You see, those are good things, but we want to make sure that we're talking about 
spiritual things. And talking about the Holy Spirit transforming my life. And to me, to allow the Holy Spirit to transform my life, I must be like a, a little child. Completely dependent, realize that I can't change myself. I must truly believe in the Holy Spirit and his ability to change me. That's how I become converted. That's how I become changed. It's not even just reading every day. And as good as that is, read your Bible every day. It's how God teaches us truth. But still, the Holy Spirit has to bring it home to my heart. Okay? We'll talk a little bit more about that. Nicodemus knew he had to be born again, born of the Spirit, that he needed to believe that Jesus is not just a good teacher come from God, but that he is the Son of Man, the Son of God. And once he believed, he needed to, as we read through that chapter, he needed to walk in the light and to actually manifest that he has a relationship with Jesus. This is all part of conversion in, Dan, in John chapter 3. Well, let's talk about knowledge. Uh, notice what Paul says, I had not what? No one sinned but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. And he goes on in verse 18, another place in this chapter, he says, For I know, I have knowledge, that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He says things like, I know the law is spiritual, just, and good. I know these things. But knowing these things is not the same as conversion. Paul knew about the law. He knew this. He knew there was something even wrong inside of him. But he still says there's something wrong with this. I know this stuff, but I keep doing what's wrong. And so the problem is described in chapter 7, but the answer is in chapter 8, where he talks about not being in the flesh, but being in the spirit. spirit. So let's give an example of that. Uh, Nathan and David. You talked about in Sabbath school, right? Did David know that it was wrong to commit adultery? Did he know that it was wrong to murder? But he still did it. And he did it for over a period of time. He didn't like be with Bathsheba one night and say, oh, I'm so sorry. Forgive me. I mean, they wound up Having a child, he wound up who knows how many nights. And he kept doing it, and he kept doing it, and he, but he knew. What did he need? He needed more than knowledge. He needed the spirit to bring it home, and God used Nathan the prophet to bring it to his heart. And so Nathan the prophet describes a scene, and David's like, well, that guy ought to be, you know... But David, I'm talking about you. You're the man. And all of a sudden, he had all this knowledge, but now what? The Holy Spirit, whom he couldn't see, brought it to his heart and convinced him of the sin, that he was the sinner. We can't just have knowledge. We have to be like a little child, humble ourselves and believe in the work of the Holy Spirit to bring these truths home to our own heart. I'm not reading this book and say, boy, I think that's kind of like so-and-so. And this is like, you know, I have to say, is this me? You know, that's where we have to start. 
Faith in God. Conversion is about thinking about God, not ourselves. And there's a certain mystery about Lucifer, but if we were to read Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, what problem did he hide? He talk about it all the time. Say he had, a, he had an eye problem. I want to sit upon the throne of God. I want to be Narcissus of the North. I want to this. I want to this. And so he's clearly taken his eyes off of God and putting them on. That's a problem, isn't it? Would that be a problem with us? If it's me, me, me. And this is, you know, and I talked about this not too long ago. Maybe it was two weeks ago. That in corrections, they talk about lowering recidivism and the focus is how they can overcome this habit or this addiction or this. And that's all very good. Those are very positive things. But at the same time, if your whole focus is on yourself, that's not conversion. Even for ourselves, if you have no addictions, our focus needs to be on keep thinking about Jesus. Keep thinking about his perfection. Because as I do, what's happening in my brain? I'm actually ennobling my thoughts because my thoughts are so high thinking about how beautiful his life is that I'm being changed by just thinking about it. But if I keep thinking about my own difficulties and problems, now my thoughts are down here. I'm not saying that you don't have to become aware of them. We do need to be aware of them. But the best way to find them is by looking at his perfection. And then we see our imperfections. And we say, we want to be like you. And I see that I'm not like you. So I want to give what I'm not like you. And I want to give it to you. And you give me you in return. And that's what Paul talks about. Put off the old and put on the new. We give Jesus our sins and in return receive his, his righteousness. This is what the gospel's all about. But the key to this is surrender. I have a will. God has a will. Uh, I want to do this, but God says, I don't want you to do this. What am I going to do? See, I have to, I have to make a choice. I have the power choice. And every day, God's not going to tempt you, but he will prove you. There's a difference. God will prove us to help us, because of his mercy and love, to help us have a barometer where we are. He may bring someone in my life that's going to rub me the wrong way. You got anybody like that in your life? Well, how do I react to them? Is God tempting me to be upset, or is he proving where I'm at? And if I find myself trying to help this same person, then I've gained a victory, haven't I? And I can see that. What's that going to help me do? Believe that he'll give me victories in other things, right? And we count our blessings, count the victories that we have. But the key is, is surrender and believing in God's ability. Jesus made four predictions of the work of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says to be born of the Spirit, connects it to conversion. And I could say that probably anything Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is connected to conversion. Is that a fair statement? Okay. So, how be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, he shall speak. He will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, shall show unto you, and shall show it unto you. Okay? So the first thing is he's going to guide us. To guide, it doesn't just say teach. He guides you. Is there a difference? If I just tell you the truth, is that different than kind of guide you and direct you into the truth? There's a difference. 
The Holy Spirit says, not saying that. Okay, this is what's true. No, it's I'm going to help you, guide you, to make this a part of your life. That you just don't know this. It's actually written in your heart, and you're carrying it out in your life. That you kind of own this, these truths. Notice this statement in Steps to Christ. There's only how many? There's just one way in which this knowledge can be obtained. We can attain it to an understanding. We can attain to an understanding of God's word only through the what? The illumination of that spirit by which the word was given. The things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. How important when I study my Bible is it for me to believe this? Imperative. Because when I pick up my Bible and I have my study, devotional time... That is the spirit alone that can help me understand truly what's in this text or in this story. And that creates a dependency upon God, doesn't it? As there should be. He inspired it. He's the one that helps us, needs to help us understand it. Okay? And that's all part of conversion. But notice how childlikeness and humility come up again. Uh, Steps to Christ. If we would not, if we would not have the scriptures clouded to our understanding so that the plainest truth shall not be comprehended, we must have the simplicity and faith of what? A little child. Ready to learn and besieging the aid of who? The Holy Spirit. See, we just learned those things. A sense of the power and wisdom of God and of our inability to comprehend his greatness should inspire us with what? Humility. See, we talked about those three things. They've already come up. And we should open his word as we would enter his presence with holy awe. When we come to the Bible, reason must acknowledge an authority superior to itself, and heart and intellect must bow to the great I am. So when we come to the study of the scripture, it's important that I'm like a child who's just learning. And I trust my parents to teach me the right things, to do the right things. That's how we're to read the Bible. It's not a matter, I wonder if this is inspired. I wonder who wrote this. I wonder, you know, if any of this is true. And that's what a lot of people do with the Bible. And it's tragic. But if I believe that God held his hand over the Bible for us, and it's like a letter to God to us, then I need to approach it as a little child that my Father in heaven has written a letter to me to help me in this life, to guide me in this life. And to do that, I need the aid of the Holy Spirit because I realize with my own cardinal thinking, I'm not going to grasp what I need to grasp in this text. But I also need to have humility. And where does that come from? How many here were born humble? Okay, I didn't see any hands. Because by nature, it's not in us. Agape love, we're, none of us were born with. But can we have it? I can have the humility of Jesus. One of the reasons Jesus put on our flesh was to live a life for us. A life that was perfectly loving, humble, forgiving, Right? And because he lived that kind of life in this flesh, the Holy Spirit now can put that life in my flesh, in me, in this same fallen flesh. And so the humility of Christ is something we should pray for every day. Because, so if, I, if I'm to begin studying the Bible today, the first thing I might ask for is guidance, okay, what else? Humility, what else? Patience, what else? To be like a little child. Is that fair? If we're told this is what conversion's about, 
and study the Bible, then I might want to start my Bible saying, Father, as I open this, let me be as receptive as a little child. May I have the humility of Jesus that whatever you show me, I'm not going to have this pride that says, no, I'm not going to give that up, but I am going to receive the humility of Jesus and allow you to speak to me and change me because I'm still in the process of needing change. Okay? The Spirit would not speak of himself. So this is the second thing Jesus referred to. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. This is talking about the Spirit. He shall receive of mine, shall show unto you. Notice what also Jesus said. Then answered Jesus unto them, saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son of God could do nothing of himself. But what do you see if the Father do? For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. He shall show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. This description of Jesus is like a is like a child. I only do what my father tells me to do. I go where my father tells me to go. I believe in my father. My father loves me. He would only tell me to do things and say things, only what is best for me. See, Jesus demonstrated to us what it's like to have childlike faith, and yet he was the sovereign of the universe, co-creator. Isn't that amazing? That he came here not to show us how God can live in flesh. He showed us perfectly how we're to live in this flesh. And when he says, be like a child, he allowed himself to learn like a child in this flesh to show us how to be childlike in faith. What a wonderful Savior, huh? The Spirit will show you things to come. Verse 3. Or the third thing, and of course he's speaking to his disciples. And so, and I need to correct that, it wasn't actually between the Lord's Supper and Gethsemane. Um, but they, they did see the Lord crucified. They did see things to come, didn't they? What else they see? They, they saw the Lord resurrected, not at the moment, but he came to them. He saw him ascend to heaven, the upper room experience. They saw the beautiful evidence of, of, of grace of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Uh, thousands coming in in a day. They saw, they saw, they saw because they lived by faith. And as long as they were teachable, they would keep seeing things. You want to have that kind of experience? You see, there's a lot of things that need to happen between now and the second coming. We want to be able to see these things. And this is the promise. They saw things. Why? Because they believed in the work of the Holy Spirit. They were like childlike. They were teachable. That's why he picked these 12 men. They were teachable. They were like little children willing to absorb everything Jesus said it did. Teach us to pray, you know. And so we need to be the same way. There's a lot of things that are going to happen very quickly. And we're going to see things to come. But we don't want to be blind to them. The only way to see them, these things coming, is to be in the word like a child. To be humble and to believe that the Holy Spirit will show us these things. Amen? Amen. He shall glorify me. Notice this statement in letter 155, year 1902. In these words, Christ declares the crowning work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit glorifies Christ by making him, Christ, the object of supreme regard. And the Savior becomes the delight, the rejoicing of the human agent in whose heart is wrought this transformation. Repentance 
represents the process by which the soul seeks to reflect the image of Christ to the world. He shall glorify me. I thought, what does that mean? And of course, the first thing I'm going to do is put EGW, he shall glorify me on my computer. Boom, things start popping up. The way the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ is by instilling in us that you and I want to be just like Jesus. More than just being a member of a church. More than just having this or that. That our highest regard, our greatest joy, is to be like him. That's how the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Okay? And just quickly, we'll just talk about the triple work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says here, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And of course, that is in its logical, intended order. Um, it is the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin. If the sinner responds to the quickening influence of the Spirit, he'll be brought to repentance and aroused to the importance of obeying the divine requirements. So the first thing in the step of conversion is the Holy Spirit's working on my heart and says, Jeff, you need a Savior. Jeff, you need a Savior. You've committed this sin and that sin and this sin and that. And that happened for me at the age of 20 when I realized that I need a Savior. So I accept Christ at the age of 20, but that's just the beginning of my Christian experience. God has to continue to show me where I'm still unlike Jesus. For how long? To the day I die. Because the, how the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus is that I would make a choice, a conscious choice, that what I want more than anything is to be like Jesus. Okay? Notice this statement in Acts of the Apostles. As Saul yielded himself fully, the uh, Saul of Tarsus, as Saul yielded himself fully to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, he saw the mistakes of his life and recognized the far-reaching claims of the law of God. He who had been a proud Pharisee, confident that he was justified by his good works, now bound before God with a the humility and simplicity of who? A child. So you should find these three things together. Confessing his own unworthiness and pleading the merits of a crucified and risen Savior. So when we talk about Saul's conversion... He realized that he needed a savior. And he, this proud Pharisee, needed to have humility. And more than that, to be teachable, to unlearn all the false things he believed, he needed to be like a little child and learn things all over again. And I, I find that in the prison. I, there's so many denominations there represented. And so many fall so easily back in the way they were brought up which I know so much, so many, so much of it's not based on the Bible. This is the way they were taught. But we have to become teachable. You know, when I accepted Christ at the age of twenty, I didn't grow up in a church, but I still had opinions. You know, I had to relearn. I had to give up all those opinions to learn what was truth. It's about being teachable. It's about being like a child. Uh, but we can't just be convinced of sin. But if the Holy Spirit would convince him of sin, then the opposite must be true, right? If I'm convinced of sin, there must be righteousness. I mean, you can't convince someone of sin if there's not something that's right. Okay? Therefore, if the Spirit reproves the transgression, then he must approve of doing right. Does that make sense? If the Spirit convinces of righteousness, of being right and doing right, then there must be a standard of right. Right? 
And what is sin? It's the transgression of the law, 1 John 3, 4. So if we're being convinced of sin, we also need to be convinced of righteousness. There must be a standard of righteousness, which is the Ten Commandments and Christ himself, right? If one thing, it's one thing to refrain from doing wrong. It's another thing to start the right. And this is where I think even within our own, not local church, but within Adventism, we can be so focused on not doing something wrong instead of our focus being on... Because if I focus on doing what's right, am I more likely to give up the wrong? But if I just keep focusing on the wrong, but I never start doing the right, this is going to be a struggle. You may gain precious victories here and there, but at some point, I really need to focus on just doing what's right and doing what's right and having the joy. That's the joy. The joy is doing right, not just refraining from wrong. I'm so happy I don't smoke anymore. Well, praise God. But what about saying, I'm so happy that God used me to help bring someone to Christ? You see what I'm saying? They both are happy. They both are good things. This is all part of conversion. If it is the desire to surrender the old life that we might begin the new life in Christ. And again, surrender is kind of the key. So let's go ahead and close with this one. He convinces of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come. Every sense of guilt tells me that God will judge us in the end. Is that true? If God put in our human brain a sense of guilt then that means there must be a judgment. There must be basically a day of reckoning. Um, In his loving kindness, he keeps reminding us of the judgment when we're doing wrong or to begin to go astray. Is that love? Is that mercy? It is. If God didn't care, he just let you go on sinning and wouldn't impress your heart at all. He just said, okay, I'm going to leave you to your sins and, you know, and I'm not even going to remind you there's a judgment. You're just going to die in your sins. Well, God's not that way. Amen. He allows us to sense guilt because he's still working on our heart, because he wants us to be saved. Yes. He's hoping that when we feel bad about what we did, that we'll turn to him and trust him yes. like a little child. Every time a person rejects the call of the Holy Spirit to repent and to do the right, he is grieving the Holy Spirit. Is that a true statement? Yes. If a person continues to grieve the Spirit, he hardens his heart. Is that true? And I would never say, if you sin X amount of times, there's no hope. You can never say that. The problem is, is if we keep playing with sin, we may harden our own hearts where we'll not choose to accept Christ again. It's not that he would never accept us again. He would always accept, no matter what a person's done, wherever, to be part of his kingdom. That's why he came here. The problem with sin It's not that God can't forgive it. It's that I may not choose to be forgiven. It may harden my heart so much that I might just not even hear the Holy Spirit trying to oppress my heart. And we'll close with this. There will never be a time when God will no longer love us. So that's what we just covered. Um, So there's more we could say about conversion. Um, And I know Elder Ron's going to talk more about it coming up. And you'll want to pay close attention to that because it's really important that we believe in God. 
that we believe in his promises, that I cannot save myself, I can't change myself, but the Holy Spirit can change me. And I know what he can change me into. What is it? Jesus. There's a picture of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in me. He wants me to look like Jesus. And whatever we read about Jesus can be in us because the Holy Spirit is actually that perfect in his work. We just need to not keep him from doing it. We just help me be a child today. May I receive the humility of Jesus. And may I fully believe that the Holy Spirit is able to do this. Before we have our closing prayer, we have our closing hymn. Before we pray, just everybody be safe as you go home. Let us pray. Father, you are altogether beautiful and perfect. Uh, Who else could we surrender to? And to know that you have emptied out the best of heaven and given your son for our salvation. There would be nothing that you would withhold from us that's for our eternal good. Help us, Father, to trust you each day. Begin our day with you. Begin by getting a fresh supply of the Holy Spirit to live for you, to give you glory, to become more like you is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.